Welcome to the Let's Talk About Church Safety and Security podcast, where we discuss the issues churches face protecting their flock while maintaining a Christ-centered focus with your host, Paul Buckner. Welcome back to another episode of the Let's Talk Church Safety and Security podcast. I'm your host, Paul Buckner. I am a civilian uh, police chaplain in the American Midwest, and I am a veteran of the church safety space. So in this episode, I want to talk about legacy. I want to talk about the legacy we leave with our church, that we leave with our family. I want to talk about the legacy that we leave in our workspace. And I want to talk about the legacy that I want to leave both as a, a husband and a father and as a church uh, I don't know what I, exactly I am, a, a, a church safety professional, and then um, and then as a chaplain, because very th- very few things that we do actually has an impact on an internal level. This side of how we raise our families, how we love our spouse, and and who we take with us to heaven because of the example that we led and and leading people to Christ, and so. That's that's where this podcast is going, and I'm very excited to very excited to be uh, working on a new endeavor. And uh, the the interviews are awesome. I just cannot wait for for you guys to see everything that God is opening, all the doors that He's opening. So let's get down to business. So uh, you'll see over here to the side of me, and it's going to be kind of hard to read it, maybe unless you're well. First off, if this is the audio version of the podcast, you can't see me, and that's a that's a blessing. But over here it says, "Man of God." husband, father, brother's keeper. And I owe a debt to my friend, Michael Holland. And uh, uh, he and I worked together in the church safety space several years ago and and have maintained a friendship. He's a great dude. And uh, shout out to you, buddy. But he sent me a patch and I think it said Semper Disciplina on it. If I remember, I've got several patches now that different people have sent me. And that was a kindness. And I'd never really thought about putting anything like codifying things I'd said into patches. And that sort of got me started down that road. So somewhere there's somebody that does patches that's very thankful to you, Michael, for that. And so I've actually got two sets of these. Um, This set is actually here in my office space. This is where I do not only my podcast, but this is where I do my video editing and everything. So you can't see this, but I'm completely surrounded by computers. They outnumber me. Uh, You know, Link, if you're in danger from AI taking over. But I, uh, this is where I do a lot of my work, and it's just a daily reminder to me. And uh, also in my uh, in my podcast studio for the Beside the Badge podcast, it's there. So talking about legacy, and I'm going to take this in some different directions. Um, first and foremost, we are to be a man of God or a woman of God. We are to be a sold out believer in love with God. I think of Boaz in the Old Testament that um, the people who worked for him as he walked. Uh, through the field or rode into the field, um, they spoke a blessing over him. And I can tell you, uh, not every boss has that from their employees. And if you're if you're a boss, it's something to think about. How do your employees speak to you and about you? And you know you can't fix everything, but there's an impact. And we want to lead by example in a way that people go, "I respect the heck out of that guy or gal." And then. I think of the same thing was true. Uh, Boaz had his love interest and uh, ended up with Ruth and they ended up being very godly parents and grandparents. And we got King David. And aside from a couple of mess ups he made late in life, the man, by God's word, God literally called him a man after his own heart. God called him a man after God's heart. 
and they did an amazing job as parents and as grandparents. So we need to be sold out that time in, in, in the word, that time we need to make sure that we're getting pew time, as I call it. We've got to get fed. So we've got to take care of ourselves spiritually because that's literally the anchor that holds everything together, right? I'm talking to believers. If we don't do that, everything falls apart. And so underneath that, it says husband. And my wife can tell when I'm close to God. I have a pastor friend that um, he he said for years, he said, my my wife can tell you when I'm in the word and when I'm wrestling with things with God and, and getting closer to God. She can tell who I am. She can tell that she likes me better and has told me she likes me better when I'm close to God. Now, if that doesn't hit you right where you live. And then being a father. Now, I am the father directly of one one person, a son. I'm watching him grow up and and become a man. And and uh, then I have two stepdaughters that I, they lost their dad a long, long time ago. And I have had to learn so many things the hard way. Being being a step parent has been probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And I'm now able to develop relationships with two adult young ladies that have had to wrestle with life and being a young woman in today's day and age and what does that look like and 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 how do how do I do that and so that has been an incredible journey and I love the thought that one day we can reach a point where we can become friends with our parents and our children as adults now you can't be a your parents can't be a friend to you when you're little and you can't be a friend to your child when they're little because unfortunately um they need they need love and discipline and friendship can come when they're in their 20s or whatever you know, my son knew I loved him and, and told me one time that I had never lied to him. And I really, I really strive to be that guy. And so being a father, and I, I've talked about this many different times, if you've ever heard me speak, uh, being a father is one of the greatest honors of my life. And my, my goal in life was, uh, I always wanted to be, uh, I always wanted to be a father. I had a great dad and he taught me a hundred things to do, right. And a handful of things that you don't do. And uh, I was able to look at his life and go, okay, I'm going to do this just a little bit better. And I would like to think he's in heaven now that he would, he would look at the way I try to live my life with, uh, approval. And then, um, in that order, starting with man of God, husband and father, then comes in brother's keeper. And so we truly need to be involved. I was talking to a friend, uh, a long distance friend that I've yet to meet in the church safety space. And, and he leads a team and you know who you are. And we were having this conversation about, you have to be involved in the lives of your team during the week. You have to, you, you have to be involved in these things because if you aren't, we can, we can put ourselves in a position where we're um, inaccessible and we're unteachable, we're unreachable. But the same thing happens for the people on our team. Um, I have reached out to friends, both in law enforcement and the church safety world and beyond, and just they've been on my heart. And I find if someone just suddenly comes to mind out of the blue and I wasn't thinking about anything and then bam, suddenly I'm thinking about this person, that a lot of the time they are um, they are going through something and struggling with something and I'll reach out to them. And I've had that happen recently. And uh, I, I just love that. I love the fact that um, the Holy Spirit does that and that we need to be, we need to be reaching out to each other and checking on each other. So being a brother's keeper. Now let's take this over and apply it into certain things. So we need to be there for each other. I, I, I've, I've, I've strived to be a man of prayer where, where people will call me and say, will you please pray? And, um, I've had people who were not believers in Christ call me and say, 
I'm not sure about this God thing, but it seems like when you pray, God answers. And I'm like, well, it sounds like you're starting to believe in this God thing. And I don't say that, but I've had people call me and it's to the point that um, I've joked in the cab of, of cop cars going down the road. In the law enforcement world, they razz you a lot and you're going down the road with an officer. And I've, I've been like, oh man, it sounds like I need to start praying for you. And they're like, no, 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 don't you even, I have seen God answer your prayers. And that is, I want to be that man that's known for prayer, that's known for faith. And I will never put on airs and tell you I'm perfect. Um, I had a young cop turn to me recently and he's like, I'm not really sure. He's like, I'm not really sure I want my chaplain seeing the the body camera footage uh, from that takedown uh, because I kind of said some things to that guy when he was hitting me that um, I'm not sure I want you to hear. And I'm like, well, brother, I'm not sure I would say nice things if somebody was hitting me. <laughs> That's just being human. And uh, I, I have I have hurt myself and said things that did not bring glory to God. And I, I was joking with my wife just yesterday. I was showing her something and it was frustrating me. I was learning some video editing technique and, and some things weren't working the way I wanted them to. And I actually was in Photoshop at that moment. And I, I said out loud, series of unrepeatable words, which has become a joke. Uh, whereas I would have possibly sworn and said things that would not bring glory to God. It's become a joke. And, uh, but we want to be real people and we want to, we want to live a life in such a way that people go, that dude's crazy, but he loves God. And there's something about this God thing. He's, he's either completely nuts or God is awesome. And slowly, but surely more and more of the guys I chaplain are starting to come to church and getting their lives right with the Lord or, or going to church to begin with. And, uh, the church I went to for 25 years, by the time that I left and God called me to my church now, which we've been at right about three years, um, they weren't anti-first responder, but it kind of freaked people out when a, when a police officer in uniform walked in the door. And that changed wonderfully before, uh, God called us away. And I walked in the door at our church now. And when I walked in the door, um, is really kind of cool because they were pro first responder from the get go. They, when they founded the church, they're like, Hey, one of the things that we want to do is we want to, we want to create a space that first responders feel comfortable. And they've just done some amazing things even this year, uh, to thank first responders in our area, our, our firefighters, our EMTs, paramedics, and police officers. They're a very, um, patriotic American, um, loyal to, uh, our, uh, I don't know the people that, as a friend of mine says, they don a uniform of service. That's, that's where my church is at. And I dearly love it. And so we want to, we want to live our lives in such a way that people want to go to church, that they want to be closer to God, that they want salvation. And, um, I think it was the newsboys that some of their lyrics were like, um, that they, they would see your good works and then they would glorify the Lord uh, yeah, we want to be that kind of a Christian. And I, I grew up, you know, I, I'm a seventies model, but I was, I was reaching adulthood in the nineties. And I remember those lyrics very well, that they would see your good works and then they would glorify the Lord. And we want to live such godly lives among the Gentiles and among which I'm firmly a Gentile, but we, we want to do that and, and do that in such a way that, that people who don't know God want that. So, um, now within our teams, we want to create an environment where people want to hang out. If I remember, 
I remember years ago that uh, I was doing church uh, security in an environment where there was a lot of discord and people practically ran out of church and I was helping with different things and I was watching this and it was heartbreaking and they would practically run out of the building and jump in their cars and leave and I've, I've seen that parking lot empty at that time in 10 minutes within 10 minutes of the service being over everyone was gone and that was so heartbreaking because there was no fellowship and people were they were going to church because they knew they needed to get fed, but they wanted to get out of Dodge. And as forgiveness and restoration and all these things began to go on, I got to kind of watch and see everything that was happening with that church. And I saw people start hanging out longer and longer. So when I was helping with that, it was kind of to the point like, okay, it's been an hour and 20 minutes. That church has been over. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And um, that is by comparison a wonderful difference and are we creating a space that people want to hang out and practically tailgate in the parking lot if that's the case then job well done and so in my church now um, i was given responsibility for the parking lot team which has been a real honor and my goal is to create an environment that everyone wants to stay and hang out and we had a guy recently that is very close to giving his life to the lord that he was quoting scripture in the church parking lot and talking to other guys that that wouldn't have happened two or three years ago. Um, not just with him, but that wasn't where the conversation would have gone. And I want to create that space prayerfully, like, Lord, use me. Um, I talk a lot. I just want to talk about you. And one of the things we do is we have an area where we can hang out. And so we can go over and hang out uh, near our, our cafeteria area and we call it our, our cafe and so there's enough chairs and tables and different things like that where we can kind of go into that space and I can I can help supplement I'm on the security team and, and what have you and so I can see I can see from that vantage point most of what's going on and I can definitely hear if there's a problem if it's getting loud and so we'll sit down and I of course being the sheepdog mentality guy that I am I sit where I can see the doors and then I begin to welcome people to the table. And so um, now guys are actually doing it on their own. They'll go over and sit down and I've got the guy that's taking pictures with the, the, one of the guys comes over from the cafe and sits down and one of the door greeter guys comes over and sits down. And we can be really divisive if we're not careful where we are. Coffee sip break. We can do this thing where we we create division even unconsciously or perhaps unintentionally and where we're like, well, no, we're security or we're the parking team or we're the, the greeting ministry and ugh, good grief. You know, we're, we're all parts of the, the body of Christ. I'm pretty sure I'm the armpit. Um, some things were made for noble and ignoble purposes and I'm pretty sure I'm the armpit, but we are, we are called to do things to be the hands and feet of, of God, of Christ. And, and what concerns me is when we start creating division and, I literally will pull out a chair. I'm very deliberate about that. I'll pull out a chair and invite somebody to sit down. Well, then we've got deputies that are on duty that, you know, their knees are getting a little older or they'd like to sit down for a minute. And when the crowd thins out and you can see hundreds of yards out our front doors, um, they'll come over and sit down and join us. And then we have this mixed bag of conversations. And if you've ever met me in person and had a conversation, I'm like a shotgun. I can get I can get to the point, <laughs> but I'm kind of a shotgun. And it's just my personality. And 
I see connections and relations between things, and I am a storyteller. If you've ever met me or heard me speak, you know I'm a storyteller. And I, if you tell me a story, odds are I will always remember it. And actually, uh, to, to rabbit trail, oh, shocker, for a minute, a lot of my best stories are not mine. A lot of my best stories are someone else's. And I will, I will divest the story of that person's name. Because in a lot of cases, people don't want, they don't want... Uh, you sharing their name. And I mean, I've had some funny things happen over the year or mem the years, memorable, poignant things, powerful things, stories that you're like, whoa, that's why we need to do this aspect of safety or this aspect of security or this aspect of medical is because of stories like that. So I I shake out the, the things that don't need to be there. And I tell the story that is that gold nugget, that aha moment. And so um, that I think is one of the few giftings God's given me is I talk too much and I'm a storyteller, but I'll invite those guys over and they sit down and then we're having conversations. And what I love is over time, those conversations, as people get more and more comfortable and maybe that deputy sitting there, that may be the only time that week that that deputy had a positive conversation with a private citizen, because I saw a thing the other day that said, um, it's crazy when you work law enforcement because people get mad at you for things they did. And it's so true because a police officer goes to the scene of a car accident and somebody's at fault and they're probably both mad at you or which is so sad because the officer didn't cause the accident and they have to reconstruct a, a, an accident scene or someone is flagrantly speeding or they blow a stop sign and they fail to signal all of which cause wrecks. I know shocker. It's, it's crazy. Laws are there for a reason. And um, I had somebody years ago blow a stop sign and almost kill my mom, my son, and myself. And um, of all things, they were on a four-wheeler and put us in a ditch. And by the grace of God, we were okay. My mom had a severe concussion from it. And uh, that's a story for another time, but laws are there for a reason. So that officer, that deputy may not have had a positive conversation with anyone in the last week. And by the way, that's a ministry opportunity. If you're paying um, an officer, a deputy to be at the door of your church. Some churches like put them in the parking lot. Now I'm, I'm a big fan. So I'm just going to tell you where I'm at. I'm a big fan of having the cruiser parked as close to the street as you can get it in a very prominent position. We have, it's like park parking lot spot one or par parking lot row one spot one. We try to put them there because we want that marked unit there. Um, that can be a deterrent. Now, it isn't always because if a bad guy is like, I'm going to kill me a cop today, they may come and try to go to your church because they're like, well, how am I going to find a cop? Wait, there's a cop at that church. So that's why you need to be there to protect your deputy or officer as well. But that's a ministry opportunity. And so we've got a guy on our security team. He's amazing. And he walks around and he gives a tour. If you're a new deputy to our church and you've never been there before, he gives you a tour. And so guys come over to come back to the table. Guys come over and they sit down at the table and we have these great conversations. And I, I go around the parking lot. So we have, we have three shifts. So I'm going away from the table. I'm going to come back. We go out and we we go out and we serve in the parking lot and we, we literally prevent car accidents because some people do not use this, this handy thing that hangs up on the glass in front of them. And it lets them see behind the car. It's a new invention called the rear view mirror. Um, it was actually uh, invented about the same time as the, as the turn signal and uh, also the brake pedal. <laughs> but anyway, so we've got some amazing people out in the parking lot we prevent car accidents. We've changed flat tires. We've jump started cars 
and we're there to help. Um, we're looking for people that have collapsed between the vehicles or they're sitting in the vehicle. And uh, I was talking to Aaron Hanna recently, and he and, and I was talking about people going into the bathroom and the fact that you could deal with medical events in your bathroom. And he's like, bro, you have no idea. People, when they're feeling sick and bad, they go away from other people, which is just a human thing. You don't want to throw up in front of somebody or you want to be alone. Animals do it before they die. It's 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 something that I think maybe even instinctive in people is to kind of separate ourselves a little bit and figure out what's wrong. Well, then they're in a bathroom or they're out in their car or they're walking to their car and they have a medical event and collapse. And if you see somebody that's not feeling well, to take another rabbit trail, um, and you see somebody, they're headed for the bathroom and they seem like they don't feel good, it might be worth kind of just keeping an eye. Uh, my son used to have the worst nosebleeds that you can, I mean, oh my gosh. And it, so then you've got a biohazard problem in the bathroom because his nose was bleeding in the sink and stuff. And um, we'd get that clotted up and taken care of. And then coming away from that, we'd have to get with whoever at whatever facility we were at to get that bathroom fully cleaned. I'd do everything I can, but they've got those strong cleaning agents. So check on the people that go into the bathroom. Look, you know, kind of if they don't seem like they're feeling well, if somebody's out in the car, if they're headed for the car, people have died in the parking lot at their church or on the way out the door because nobody checked on them. And that's something that would break my heart. And I would feel that'd be one of the biggest regrets of my church safety career. Um, so I bounce around the parking lot going from guy to guy. We've had a gal that's come out and joined us a few times. And we just have these conversations about God and life. And a lot of it's just like, hey, what happened this week? And everybody has a slightly different job or hugely different job. And there's guys that work in telecom or different things. And it's fascinating to have conversations with them. So we do life together. I'll shoot him a text during the week at different weeks and be like, you know, how's, how's this week going? Or how did that project turn out? Because I really care. We need to do life together. I've said this a thousand times if I've said it once. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So coming back inside, we are blessed to have the type of team culture where people want to hang out and just about tailgate. They just about want to tailgate and um, they want to hang out and visit after the service that they serve is over. Now you, you may do one service. Um, and we're at, as a church right now, we are at three large services and we'll have 15, 1600 people between three services is very common. And when I started with the church three years ago, I think they were at 750 members. So we've doubled and, uh, but I've got guys that they will show up early for the first service. And I mean, some of my guys are there at 715, 730 in the morning. And then they don't leave. Um, they'll be there for two or three services. And um, I've had guys that have told me, hey, it's my favorite part of the week. I think that's when we're starting to do things right is when you're inclusive. And then you want, if you're doing safety, if you're doing security, you want to be approachable. So I, if somebody's on the, the greeter team, the, um, whatever you're going to call that at your church, if they're on that team and they come up and they, you want them to feel comfortable and you never want to make them feel stupid. And so if you're doing it right, you want them to come up to you and say, um, I'm not sure if it's anything, but that guy had a weird bulge at his waistline and the way he was acting, it just kind of made me nervous. Okay. Well, a, a bad guy could be carrying a weapon concealed or the guy keeps, he keeps patting like his pocket or his waistband and, or I, I watched this guy walk around and he's looked into every room and then he's looking to see who's looking. Now, 
I don't care how high speed you are. The odds that you'll see every single thing that goes on happen are low. And I'll tell you the craziest thing. Bad guys can smell sheepdogs. The, I used to have a, quite a bit of livestock and I had two sheepdogs. And I don't mean herding dogs. I don't mean cattle herding dogs. I mean dogs that are there to protect the flock, herd protection animals. And um, literally when they were puppies, the coyotes in our neighborhood could smell them and left. Now they've, they've passed on and those dogs have been dead for years and I now have a coyote problem again and they, they try to run livestock and I, I lease the property for livestock, but the coyotes try to run them at night and they're hoping for an animal to fall and get hurt or they're hoping to catch an old, an old cow by itself or they're hoping to catch a calf. And that is, I, I don't know of a better analogy, the wolf and the coyote um, are there to hurt the flock, they're there to hurt the herd. And you're not going to be able to see everything. And I literally cannot tell you how many times one of my herd protection dogs, my sheep dogs, was out in the pasture. And one of the cattle would turn and moo at the dog. And the dog seemed to understand it would turn and look. And there was a coyote that was skirting the edge of the field. And the cow knew the sheep dog was there to protect her. And she would moo and call her babies to her. And then the dog would take off tearing down through there and the cows would all watch and be like, oh, that's a good sheep dog and, and would chase away the coyote. And the coyotes got pretty smart pretty quick because my dogs were two and three of them. You need those eyes and ears and you need those relationships and those relationships matter. I have literally heard of people saying, people have come to me and said, you know, the guy that does security at our church, he's really smug. And anytime I try to mention something like, this person just gave me a bad feeling, especially a woman's intuition. If a woman says, this person kind of weirds me out, whoo, you probably should be paying attention to that. God gave a woman intuition. They're there to be advisors in our lives as husbands. I am better for the fact that my wife is with me. She recently advised me on something that I was really passionate about. And she said, yeah, I think you should maybe do it this way. And I was headed a different way. And I thought about it and I said, you know, you really are a wife of noble character. And we, we pick on each other a lot. And I said, I really mean that. I'm not joking. I'm blessed to have you in my life. And we've been married 18 years and counting as of today. So uh, today's not our anniversary. Just anyway. So coming back around, I'm going to go back to that table briefly and then talk about legacy. You want to build those relationships where people feel comfortable coming to you with their concerns, with medical situations, with you want to be approachable where somebody can come up and say, um, I think this lady might be having a medical situation. Would you know, um, would you go check on her? Um, and then you get somebody from maybe a lady and they step into the restroom and then they go, oh, crud, you know, she's whatever. And then you, you get your medical folks involved. Um, you want to be that kind of approachable. And if you're not naturally that kind of approachable, Dan Blevins, uh, Church Security Through Prevention podcast, if you have not listened to that, go listen to that podcast. He um, he talks about the fact that his, like his resting face is not naturally a friendly face, and he's had to learn to smile. Some people, um, they have they have a face that their resting face looks like they're homicidal. And... Uh, like their resting face looks like that. Like sometimes when I'm really engaged in learning, I'll be nodding. And I had an instructor go, well, obviously I'm not teaching anything you don't know. And I looked at him and said, well, everything about your face says you already know this. And I'm like, I'm sorry that that's what my face is saying. Like I've never heard this. And this is my engaged, holy cow, 
oh my gosh, my mind is blown face. And he's like, oh, okay. He's like, well, you're just like sitting here and you're just like, you know, like nodding and like the way that you're looking, I didn't think that I was teaching you anything new. And I'm like, oh no, 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 no. There's a reason I'm taking notes. And so you want to be that kind of friendly. You want to create that culture in your team that you can, that you can leave behind because this side of the second coming of Christ, there's, there's going to be handoffs. I mean, I was part of a group for a really long time that we did a lot of, every one of us either started a team or ran a team. And I actually, all three of us that were the main heavy hitters, we all started teams and then at some point handed them off and to whatever degree they were successful after that. And for mine, unfortunately, it was not successful. And uh, I had groomed a guy. He wasn't interested. Now I found out he's interested that church is, is actually uh, starting a team again, which is praise God. But you want to leave a legacy behind of building a culture that is approachable and fun and you can have conversations. I had a guy recently that I love him. I kind of do a little bit of mentoring with him and he kind of went off into left field with something that was crude and it was very inappropriate. And I said, this conversation needs Jesus. And he laughed and he goes, you're right. And I've, I've learned that you can do that in love because years ago I cracked actually probably when I was about the same age, I cracked a crude joke. Oh, shocker. And uh, I did, and I, I thought it was funny. And this guy goes, foul ball. And I went, I'm I'm sorry, and he said, foul ball. And then I realized what he was saying was that that was not a home run, that was not a line drive, that was not a base hit, that wasn't even a bunt, foul ball. And I appreciated the fact that he actually said that to me. It kind of, it aggravated me a little bit for a second, but then I was like, well, he just told me my my poop stinks. He just let me know I need I needed to hear that. And we can do that in love. Unless people know that we love them, they're probably not going to want to listen. So I think I've beaten that horse pretty much to death. But I want to I want to swing around to specifically, because I, I had this asked of me not long ago, like what, what is the legacy you want to leave behind? I want to leave behind, um, if, if I go before my wife, I want to leave behind a wife that was like, man, we made a lot of mistakes and we cut our teeth on marriage together, but that man loved me. And he's with God now, and I can't wait to see him later and hang out in heaven with, with God and everybody else and just know he's going to be there. I don't want her to have massive misgivings because I was not a good husband. Um, we can literally reach a point in a marriage where, if we're not careful, where it's so cold or it's so hateful, hate-filled, that we actually want that person to die. That's terrible, and I can't imagine that, and I definitely don't want that to happen, right? I do not want that to happen in my marriage. And then I want my children to love God. I want my children to, to love God and to fear the living God and be like, no, I, I want to live my life for God. And I want to raise my, my own children to love God. I want, you know, their, their impact in life is going to be different. Um, I, I've had friends go, it's going to be really hard for your son to compete with the things you've done. And boys naturally want to outdo their dad. And I'm like, all, all I tell him is this isn't a competition. And I know that can be hard for a young man, but this isn't a competition. You don't need to do more like that. Be a loving husband, be a loving father and, and live a life for God. I want to be my brother's keeper. And I, I try to live a life where people can approach me with things that they really hurt over. And literally my chaplain ministry and church safety are areas that I can do that in. And so I don't need a title. Um, 
I don't run my church's safety team. Um, I run my church's parking lot team and there's a lot of safety aspects that go in that, but it's not a safety team. But I don't need a title. Um, I, I would be disappointed if the church came to me and said, because uh, they're very complimentary of what we do, hey, good job, we're going a different direction, thanks for playing. But it wouldn't stop me from doing ministry. It wouldn't stop me from pretty much doing anything that I do. It would just mean the title's gone. I try to live life that way. If you if you take a title away from me, it doesn't really change me. And I really think that's valuable. I had mentors growing up, people that I looked up to that they didn't need a fancy title. They didn't need something on their chest, a badge, a ribbon, you know, a, a, a jacket that said something for them to feel whole. And that's who I try to live. And that's how, that's how I try to live and who I try to be. Now let's talk specifically about church safety. If I could leave a mark on church safety, I want to leave a ministry focus in church safety because it's so easy, especially for someone with a sheepdog heart and mindset, especially if you've been military, especially if you've been law enforcement or a firefighter, um, any kind of medical, I chaplain. And I have these conversations with people where they're like, I literally have to save the life of somebody that just tried to kill me. Do you know how hard that is? I, I literally have to save the life of a guy that went at his girlfriend and she and she did something that caused him to get injured. I remember a guy that went at his girlfriend. Um, he was physically injured and she like like pivoted, no martial arts training, but she pivoted and and shoved him as he came at her. And he like hit the wall and hit the floor and like his shoulder was already messed up and a bunch of different things. Um, he had injuries to his arm and stuff from something else and he was just being kind of a dingling. And when he hit the wall and the floor, um, he pretty much sorted himself out and the fight was out of him and, but he needed medical care and that's kind of a hard place to live. I want to be the kind of guy that, um, that I love unconditionally, which is hard. I'm not a naturally forgiving guy. It's any forgiveness in me is, is Christ. And I think I don't believe outside of a, of, of a real true relationship with Christ, walking with God daily, that we can actually forgive. I don't think it's humanly possible. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So I want to leave a legacy of a ministry-first mindset in church safety. And, and then medical is a huge part of that. Um, having adequate medical, uh, and I would love to see, I would love to see emergency trauma gear jump over into a lot of different things. Like I, I was listening to an episode of the civilian medical podcast and which I listen to, pardon the phrase religiously. I really do. And there's a little not safe for work, work language in there, but a lot of good meat. I just kind of shake out the dirt around, uh, uh, that. And I really enjoy Dietrich skinny medic. I really enjoy what they do. And I used to ride horses, I mean, it was like my life. I used to ride every day. And and to me, a day was not complete without time in the saddle. And I think that horse and I, we were together for 15 years. And then he passed. It was, it was uh, a little over two years ago. It was pretty tough on me. And um, love horses. Love everything to do with it. And I don't know how many thousand, thousand miles that horse and I rode together. And used to work cattle and different things mechanical injuries on the back of a horse are easy to do. You've got a thousand plus pound animal that you're moving with. And I've been thrown out of the saddle, um, not the horse's fault. I had a saddle break and I hit a fence. And by the grace of God, I've, I've got a little tiny scar that runs over my scalp and one on my hand that you can't see either one of them anymore. Uh, I got some scar tissue on the back of my leg from that, but I could have bled to death because I hit like five, it was five strands of barbed wire on three fence posts. And I, Wendy, I can fly, you know, 
And uh, it was a bad day. And I was, I hurt for weeks after that. I've been rammed into a barn by a bull. Um, uh, that was the craziest thing ever was, it was a bull calf that was pretty big, but he wasn't grown up. And thank God he didn't know how to fight yet. And he, he got me and there was nowhere for me to go. And by the grace of God, my wife had just stepped out of that area to take a phone call. And, and God knew that he built me on a bigger chassis. And I hit that barn and there is a Paul shaped mark on the side of that barn. So I was, I was fortunate to come out of that situation. Okay. But I would love to see the, the horseback livestock cattleman rancher farming world really start to look critically at, um, at how to, um, keep trauma gear close. I mean, my wife got a, a severe laceration on her hand working fence with me one day, just mending fence. So I'd love to see just if you do construction, you know, I was talking to a gentleman recently that one of the guys that's on his construction crew cut his hand very severely. And, uh, the guy might've been good for signal one. He might've been on drugs a little bit. The boss was like, ah, based on what he did, I'm kind of wondering. So that's the thing, keeping it around construction, around manufacturing. I've got a friend that's got a, a military background and was, and was taught emergency trauma care in the military. And he talks about the saws and the drills and the presses and equipment that are in his company, the heavy equipment. And injuries can happen just so monstrous. In, uh, injuries can happen so quickly. And so um, a death by exsanguination, if I can say that correctly, exsanguination, blood loss, death by the draining of blood from the body is the leading cause. And I forget what age, I need to look this up, but I think it's under 40. It's the leading cause of death uh, in humans. And so thinking about that, a lot of times under that age, you don't have you don't have as many health issues as you do above that age. And of course, now I'm firmly in my forties. That's always comforting to know that, Hey, you shouldn't be as concerned about uh, death by exsanguination as you are about, I don't know, heart attack, stroke, whatever. So it's part of why I try to keep, take good care of myself. I worked out this morning and uh, try to take care of myself to, to be around for my family as long as I can possibly be. And I, I want to take an aside and go back to that because I think that's important. That's a point that I had forgotten to mention earlier. Part of me being a man of God is being here for my family as long as I can. That's why that reminder is there. Uh, my dad died in his mid fifties. It was preventable. Um, he came from a different generation. It was one of the, one of the 10 things that he taught me not to do. And he taught me to take by, by reverse example, I guess he taught me to take better care of myself. And so in his generation, you really didn't go to the doctor. You didn't really do those things. And that's something that we're learning as we're moving forward. A lot of that generation, just the concept of the idea of mental health. The minute that you say, well, I'm taking a mental health day, people are like, oh, are, are you suicidal? Is there something wrong with you? Are you mental? And I've really had to like assess that in my own life. Like, like, you know, you're weak if you take a day to recharge and, and rethink things. Not, no, not so. And uh, so for me, going the distance for my family is very, very important to be alive and healthy. I can't protect my family from the grave. I can't give godly advice from the grave. And I, I recently had a, a young man reach out to me and talk to me. And uh, I'll tell that story over on the Beside the Badge podcast. But he he reached out to me and said, hey, I, I got some questions. I've got some career opportunities and what have you. I really am looking for some godly advice on this. Wow, no pressure. And so I pray at that point. And I'm like, I'd like to phone a friend. And and I, I listen to what their thoughts are. And their, 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 I try to ask good questions. And then I try to give godly advice. 
um, you have to be in a good relationship with the Lord to give godly advice. It doesn't work any other way. God doesn't go, yeah, I'm going to overlook those all those things that you are not obeying me in, and I'm still going to I'm still going to move in your life and use you. Um, we can repent and He'll use us, but man, I hear the Holy Spirit so much better, and I can give so much better advice when my heart's in the right place. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when I'm not where I need to be with the Lord, I can I know it, I can feel it. So. I give much, much better advice and I live a much better example when I'm close to God. Shocker, shocker. So moving back to medical, I, I, I really, if I could leave an impression, leave a mark, leave a legacy behind in that arena, it would be medical. And that is keep it in your truck. It's, it's a one-time expense for a lot of it, you know, and you've got that compression gauze and things. It, it's not that hard to have um, compressed gauze in a tourniquet, and that'll stop most of most bleeding. And then a chest seal for the for the worst thing, especially vented chest seal. It's not that hard to learn. I, I really want to see, and I'm I'm a one man band. I'm not saying that I can change the world, but maybe I can have an impact on this on the circle God gives me to work with. And I really want to see, I really want to see church safety and beyond really start to look at medical and say, we need CPR training, we need stop the bleed training, we need emergency first aid training, and then people to get excited and become training junkies. I try to instill this in my cops, I try to instill this in, in my church safety circle, and and be like, hey, let's, let's become training junkies. And that's one thing that I'm gonna talk about on this podcast is maybe some ways to do that, um, some ways to work with instructors. I've got a really exciting uh, couple of conversations coming up where we're gonna continue that conversation. We're gonna continue to talk about that. And so that's a huge thing for me is getting people excited. You know, I, I coined the phrase uh, during my time with the church safety guys. Uh, and by the way, great, great broadcast, great podcast. You should be listening to them if you're not. And I coined the phrase Semper Disciplina, a lifestyle of discipline training. And I mean it. I, that's literally, that was aimed at me when I came up with that was I loved uh, Semper Fidelis, you know, always faithful, but, and, and that being the Marine Corps motto. And I was like, I, I need something like that in my own life. And I, I looked up the Latin for, for discipline, for training, Disciplina, Semper Disciplina, always training. And so, and for me, that is another rabbit trail. That is listening to broadcasts and podcasts and reading books and trying to make me the best version I can be, not in some competitive way where, you know, look at me, I know all these things, but I, I want to be the best version of myself that I can. And a lot of times those are these little gold nugget aha moments that I get from listening to podcasts and audiobooks. And I, I drive a lot. And so if I'm if I'm working out, I can listen to something like that. And a lot of us, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. If we stop and think about it, that time that we were watching that funny cat video would have been a great time to be listening to a podcast. And I've got a friend that um, takes 45 minute bathroom breaks because he has a cell phone and sometimes can't hardly walk when he leaves the bathroom. I tease him that he would um, evacuate a lot faster if he didn't have his phone. But if you're if you're in a position where you you have a lot of windshield time, you can be listening to something, and it doesn't have to be talk radio. It doesn't have to be, you know. And maybe you're a sports fan, and I know I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, step on toes here. So I want you to repeat after me. I love Paul, that crazy church safety dude, and Paul, that crazy uh, church safety dude, loves me because 
we all have the same amount of time in a day. It's what we choose to do. I, I'm a huge sci-fi fan. I could be listening to nonstop sci-fi audiobooks. And I realized several years ago that the time that I was that I was investing in that and the money that I was investing in those sci-fi books that I really loved would have been much better spent and invested, invested because I'm throwing it away over here on entertainment, but over here, I'm actually investing it in something that can save lives. And I've looked at situations where knowing what the signs of a heart attack and stroke are have helped me protect people. And in those moments, seconds matter. EMS is minutes away, seconds matter. So I'd like to leave that kind of a legacy. And uh, I had a gentleman recently, I've talked about it before, but he, but never on this podcast, he talked about he said, you know, um, you really helped me out the other day. And I'm like, and he works at a, a company that has a, it's a dealership and they've got a shop and, and garage for repairing vehicles and what have you. And I said, oh, I'm thinking about IT. I, I'm, I'm a 24 year IT guy. And I'm like, oh, okay, what did I do that helped you out? And he's like, well, you, you gave me that tourniquet and the compressed, the compressed gauze. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, whoa, you know? And he said, you really helped me out because he's got like an EMT background, firefighter background. And he said, um, one of the guys was in the back. And if I understand the story correctly, the guy was using an angle grinder and a cutoff wheel exploded into the guy's hand. And I guess it looked pretty bad. And there were just shards, I guess, of this cutoff wheel on the guy's hand. And he ran over there and looked and the guy was bleeding, massive blood loss. And you think about that, um, arteries and veins that are opened up and potentially bleeding out. And so he was able to just apply the tourniquet here. And I, I don't know if he wrapped it in gauze or not. I didn't get a chance to ask him, but I need to. That is so valuable and so important. And it really touched my heart. And then I had one of my cops reach out to me recently and he said, you know, I really want to thank you for that. Um, and it had a coagulant. It was had coagulant in the gauze. And he said, you were kind enough to give me that gauze uh, and it was in a pouch sealed and he kept it in his side pouch. Well, he was around Christmas and he went out to a private range to shoot. And that's a big thing in the Midwest. It's a big thing all over the U S it's second amendment. You know, I, I believe red, white, and blue. And he went out there to shoot a rifle. Something was wrong with this target and it was a reactive target that was supposed to swing and something was wrong with it that he didn't know. And I don't have the details, but this AR-500 steel target sent the bullet, the actual projectile, right, the, it was actually the jacket of a 5.56 round right back at him and hit him in the arm. And so he called it in and he knew because he's a cop, he knew that EMS was going to have to stage. The ambulance was not just going to magically appear that because it was a shooting um, that, and people lie about shootings and there could be danger there, uh, that they were going to send law enforcement first. And so he was, he was like, crud. I didn't bring my, um, I didn't bring my trauma bag with me. It's in my car and he's small department and he works for multiple departments. So he carries his own trauma gear. A lot of small Midwest departments and, and, and in other parts of the country are come as you are. A lot of times you bring your own duty gear. So he didn't have his trauma bag. And, you know, guess what is, guess what is the best medical to have during an emergency? The medical you have on you because the medical in your car or in your truck or wherever you aren't, is not going to do you any good if you're not there. And so he realized, oh crud, I don't have that weight. Buckner, that crazy chaplain, gave me this. And so he tore open the pouch and then applied it to it. And he's like, I wasn't going to bleed to death, but I was bleeding and it, it stopped the bleeding. And he, he got a really good taste of what it's like to be shot. And he can talk about that intelligently now and say, you know, the jacket was in me. It was embedded, I guess, in him. And it, and I, it hurt and I was bleeding and and it was bad stuff. And so he 
he learned something from that. And I was blessed to know that I'd had some small impact on him. And I've given those out over the years. I had a guy give me uh, quite a few, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And so I doled them out to different departments. From time to time, people toss me stuff and say, hey, give this to one of your cops. So I'm blessed to do that. And it literally it literally helped that cop in that moment when there was there was nothing and no one that could help him. And so that that means a lot to me. And I, I want to leave a legacy like that where I want to see trauma gear taken seriously. I want to see medical training taken seriously. And I've got cops that are that have told me, dude, some of the things that you say really make me think about what what am I carrying on my body? Like I've helped a lot of cops in my area start carrying tourniquets and, and it's a cool guy thing now to carry a tourniquet. And I'm talking to my guys, I'm like, yeah, tourniquets are cool. Let's talk about some compressed gauze. Well, why do I need compressed gauze? I've got a tourniquet, right? But tourniquets don't stop bleeding from the trunk of your body. Um, you know, your tourniquet is not good to cut off the bleeding from your belly. Um, compressed gauze can, um, you know, you can wrap a wound in compressed gauze. There's 50 things compressed gauze can do. And, and there are a lot of those things that a tourniquet can't. You can create pressure bandages and maybe you need the compressed gauze. It's really cheap. I've gotten it. Best deal I ever got was 50 cents a pouch. And that was crazy. Usually it's two, three bucks. And so I try to help those guys go, oh yeah, good call. I do need that kind of stuff. And uh, so that would be a legacy that I want to leave would be to maybe help people to understand, hey, we're going to go hiking this weekend and we're going to be away from the situation. I want to have the right kind of trauma gear on me in case something bad happens. And it's not that expensive. You think about, let's say you drop 30 bucks on a tourniquet, let's in a, a good quality tourniquet, and then you drop um, three bucks on gauze and um, maybe 15 bucks on chest seals. And, and that's really going out there. That to me is a pretty complete bag. I one to two tourniquets for a hike like that or, or, a, or camping or, you know, some kind of a day outing into the brush, um, going to the range. I generally have a, a couple of tourniquets on me as one on me for sure. And then I have extra gear close by my range bag literally has a medical kit in it and we've had to use it. Um, we had a guy that wasn't thinking and the craziest slide bite I've ever seen was at a range during a competition where a guy wasn't thinking and he slid his hand right behind the slide. I think they said eight stitches. And what we did to help him slow the bleeding was we very gently wrapped it in gauze. And then he uh, he had a guy drive him to the hospital because it was going to be so much faster for them just to drive him to the hospital. It wasn't at that moment immediately life-threatening. And he even sat in the ER for quite a while. They were actually impressed that he had access to gauze. Um, those are real-world situations. That would be one of the biggest um, impacts and legacies I'd like to leave. And just helping people to realize that church safety is this accessible thing where we do it out of love that we lead with love and that the, that literally the last thing we ever want to do is to harm someone is to take a life. So that's essentially the legacy I want to leave. I want to be a man of God. I want to be a husband. I want to be a father. I want to be my brother's keeper. And I want to take as many people as I can to heaven with me because they looked over and said, Hey, I think I need what this crazy guy has. And that is salvation. That's my walk with God. Nothing special about me. Just a crazy dude that does, that does church safety. That's a chaplain. And so on that note, I'm going to pray this episode out. We have got some amazing interviews coming down the pipe. Friends of mine, people that have mentored me, people that have had this massive influence on my life. I cannot wait to continue the gratitude tour and uh, season one of the Let's 
Talk Church Safety and Security podcast. So let's pray this one out. Lord God, how do I even start? Lord God, there's so much gratitude in my heart for the relationships, the opportunities, the doors that you've opened. Lord God, I have I have friendships that I would not have had without being in the church safety world. And Lord God, I'm thankful for that. I ask that you would guide, bless, and protect the men and women that hear this, that you would lead the right ears to it, Lord God, as always, that you would help people to go, hey, I can do this. This is accessible. This is real. I can do this, and I can do this with a heart of ministry, Lord God. And if, if anything that I do brings you glory, Lord God, I'm thankful for it. And uh, I just, as always, Lord God, I humble myself and I give you honor and glory in your son Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. This has been the Let's Talk About Church Safety and Security podcast. We hope this blessed you and we encourage you to like and share this episode with your ministry team.